Yeah, Father God, <clears throat> just thank you so much for, for Julian, the gift to us that he is. And I just ask, Father, for yeah, just a real double portion on him this morning. Mm. Would you just pour out your spirit on him? Would he just bring us a real timely and spirit-filled word and that he would just really enjoy um, speaking to us from your word this morning? Yes, Amen. Lord. Amen. Amen. Good to see you all this morning. It's so good to be here. This is my uh, first chance to actually speak on a Sunday. So, uh, fantastic. Really looking forward to it. hope you are too. <laughs> um, today we're looking at Joshua 8, which is the Battle of Ai. And the subject that we're going through for this whole season is taking ground and holding ground. So we'll be looking today at how we can take ground and hold ground in our lives uh, through this passage. What does this passage say about that? and how we can uh, do that in our lives. So uh, let's start off by reading through Joshua 8. So it's verses 1 to 29. So I'll just read it, and you can follow it in your Bibles, whichever version. This is the NIV I'm reading from today. So it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city, and when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they will say, they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from your ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off, and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his men, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with the value between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. They had the soldiers take up their positions, all those in the camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. That night, Joshua went into the valley. When the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled towards the desert. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and, they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out towards Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. 
So Joshua held out his javelin towards Ai. As soon as he did this, the men in ambush rose quickly from the position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising against the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction, for the Israelites who had been fleeing towards the desert had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and the smoke was going up from the city, they turned round and attacked the men of Ai. The men of ambush also came out of the city against them, so that they were caught in the middle with Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives, but they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and the desert where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. Twelve thousand men and women, women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin, until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of this city, as the Lord had instructed. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He hung the king of Ai on a tree and left him there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take his body from the tree and throw it down at the entrance of the city, and they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. So as we start, let me just pray and uh, we'll see where we go with this one. Father, thank you so much for this passage. It's so clear. It's such a clear story of what you did uh, in, this, uh, in this story, Lord. We praise you and thank you for it. And we pray to God that you'd speak to us so clearly from this passage today and help us to understand what you want to say to us today from this story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So when we were uh, praying this morning for me for this uh, uh, time, uh, Lena said, I pray uh, that uh, if any of you have seen or heard the thing on radio, which is Radio 4, which is the uh, Just a Minute, she said, I pray, Lord, that Julian would be uh, able to speak without hesitation, uh, repetition or deviation from the subject. So that's, that's my prayer today. That I'll stay on subject. We'll stay clearly in, in, in the groove, as it were. So, <laughs> so the context. What I'm going to do today is, um, first of all, look at the context of chapter 8, what's come before, how we've arrived at this place in Joshua. Uh, then I'll go through the sort of summary of you know, the story, what, what's actually said, what's stated in the story. Then I'll go through three points that we can draw out of this story and really get to grips with it for our own lives and then I'll sort of summarise at the end. So that's where we're going. So first of all, the context of chapter 8 and the Battle of Ai. So last week we heard from Audrey, fantastic message, which is so good, on Joshua 7, and we heard all about Achan's sin and how he had uh, completely taken the devoted things and brought uh, desperation on Israel. De- uh, Israel was in a desperate position because they went to... Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, go to battle against AI. And I think the problem was that they really took the thing quite uh, lightly. They said, oh, AI is just a very tiny little city uh, and uh, we can just take it. And they tried to take it and clearly they weren't prepared uh, and, and uh, because God was against them because of Achan's sin. And therefore we heard last week 
uh, that uh, they were devastated. They couldn't actually take the city and they were routed. And this actually, we heard that this, uh, the Israelites melted and became like water. You know, their hearts were completely uh, devastated by this. And they probably were thinking, well, hang on a minute. You know, God's brought us to this land. If God's against us, how on earth are we going to take any more land? And they were really, really struggling. It was only when Joshua had thrown himself before God and he'd been clearly told that it was because of Achan's sin that this had occurred, that they were able to repent. Well, Joshua was able to repent and the men... Uh, were able to repent and come back to God and, uh, and then, then that set them on the pathway of repentance and getting right again with God. So now we see in uh, chapter 8 a repentant Israel. They've repented, they've got themselves right. Joshua's repented, got himself right before God and uh, they learn their lesson that they need to be totally and completely reliant upon God. That's the only way they're going to take any more land in Israel is to be totally dependent on God. And we, we heard last week as well from um, Audrey that the, this, this uh, plan of God's to give the land to Israel was not some flippant thing. It wasn't, oh, I, my people need a land, I'm going to take them in there and give them that, and I'm going to clear out all the people that are there. This was actually a judgment process on the Canaanites because the Canaanites had sinned. They idol worship, they were sexually immoral, they'd been in so many ways uh, uh, denying God's love for them and uh, going against God. And God had set them apart for uh, for destruction. And so this move of God, this move of Israel into Canaan was very much God's judgment against uh, the Canaanites, as we heard very clearly from Audrey last week that this was a judgment, a process of judgment. It says in Levit- Leviticus 18, God says, So I punished Canaan for its sin and vomited out its inhabitants. God was not arbitrarily destroying this nation. It was actually a process of judgment and divine retribution on the Canaanites for their sin. So that's the sort of background. That's how we've arrived at chapter 8. And now, so we, we now come into uh, chapter 8. And let's just go through the story and see what it's, Uh, how it's played out and then how it can apply to us. (coughs) So you see at the beginning in verses 1 and 2, God gives clear instructions about how to attack Ai. Uh, We don't hear all the story here because the story gradually works its way through, but uh, God clearly says, you know, this is is how you're going to do it. You're going to set an ambush, da-da-da, we're going to do it this way. And... uh, from this point, you can see it's not Joshua's bright ideas. It's not the commander's bright ideas. It's actually God has clearly had this idea. We're going to set an ambush uh, and we're going to do it this way. So, you know, it was God's plan and God's instructions that gave this success. And in a way, this is a reflection of uh, the grace of God. Because if you remember in Ephesians, we read chapter 2. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourself." It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So Joshua and his men couldn't boast and say, well, look at the great plan that we've put together. You know, this isn't, you know, they couldn't do that because it was God's plan. So when they defeated everything, all they could do was give glory to God and, and because of his grace to them through his uh, guidance and his love for them. So God's instructions were a clever use of an ambush, I'm not sure if they'd ever used an ambush before, possibly, but I think this was maybe the first time. 
Uh, so God tells them, set an ambush behind the city. And we're not told at this stage the whole plan, but I believe God gave them the plan fully. You know, the whole process of attacking, drawing back, drawing the people out, all of that would have been good, given by God at this stage. Uh, and Joshua is very clear in his mind uh, what he had to do, and nothing was left to chance in God's instructions. So that's verses 1 and 2. So then we come into verses 3 to 9, which is Joshua's preparation for battle. So he prepares his men for battle, in, uh, we see in this section of the scriptures. So Joshua takes the instructions from God. He passes them on to his men. He t- says exactly what they need to do. He chooses 30,000 men from the, from the fighting men. He divides them up into those who are going to attack from the front and the 5,000 that were going to go to the ambush. And so he notes the details of the attack, he explains it all to them, and then he sends out the men to the ambush, and then he stays in the camp overnight. And so they're ready, everything's set and ready for the battle. Then in verse 10 to 27, we see the main part of this chapter. So this section of the scripture is actually devoted to the whole battle, And we're told quite a lot of detail about how they did it and how it went about. So we see initially that the the Israelites go forward. They go as if they're attacking. They make out as if they're attacking AI. Uh, They entice the the AI people out of the city. And uh, once the men are out of the city, then Joshua raises his javelin, it says in in, uh, verse 40, I think it is. Uh, He raises his javelin and he... uh, basically holds it up until the the whole process is finished and this is very similar to Exodus 14 where Moses you remember at the the Red Sea he he raises his staff and the waters are divided and he holds his staff up for the whole time uh, that the Israelites are going through and then once they're through then he comes through himself this is very similar so Joshua is instructed to hold his javelin uh, and that's that's sort of representing uh, deliverance of Israel. So in the Red Sea, they, deliver, they were delivered from the hand of the Egyptians. In this situation, they were delivered from the people of Ai. So there's that whole process going on there, deliverance of Israel from their enemies. And uh, this is the beginning of the end for the people of Ai, because suddenly, once, they, once they're drawn out, the ambush comes in, um, and they set fire, and then the, the men of Ai turn around and see the fire coming up from the city. And suddenly they realise that, that, that all is lost. And uh, then the, the two sides, so the ambush and the main attacking army, come and destroy uh, the men of Ai. And then they go back into the city and uh, kill everyone remaining in the city. And it sounds very, it sounds awful, really, to be honest. 12,000 people being slaughtered, but you've got to keep it in context of this. This is judgment. This is God's judgment on these people. They, they were destined for uh, destruction by God because of their sin. And in this, uh, this time round, instead of like Jericho, they had to, the devoted things had to be protected and had to be taken into the, the treasury. Um, they're permitted to take the livestock and the plunder. They're permitted to take it and keep it for themselves. And this is very interesting. I think you referred to it, Audrey, as well last week, that if Achan had just waited just for the next battle, uh, for AI, he could have taken that plunder and kept it for themselves. But because he disobeyed God that time and kept it for himself, when God clearly said, do not take it, 
he, was, uh, he, he sinned against God and suffered the consequences of that. So if he just waited a, a few weeks, maybe, before this battle, he would have had the opportunity of taking it. And then finally, in verses 28 to 29, we see the burning of Ai and the king being killed. And the city is fully destroyed. This is a bit like Jericho. That was fully destroyed, never inhabited again. Uh, and similarly for uh, Ai, it was completely and totally destroyed and left as an uninhabited wasteland. And the king is, thrown down, the king is killed and thrown down at the entrance to the city. And that's the completion of the whole um, story, effectively, uh, which finishes in verse 29. So, what can we learn from this passage? Very interesting passage, lots of detail, lots of exciting things happening. So, what can we actually learn from this passage uh, and apply to our own lives? So, I've got three points. The first point I want to bring out is that Joshua and Israel are repentant after their sin. Uh, they, they are totally repentant. Joshua and Israel have clearly learnt the lessons of uh, the first attack on AI and the, the sin and everything that happened because of that. They've repented, they've dealt with the issue, and they've, and they've then moved forward and been successful. And when, we, when it's clear that we have sinned in our lives, there needs to be a proper process of turning, a proper process of repentance. You know, we can't look at these things lightly. If, if we recognise that there's sin, we need to do a, 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 a true turning away, a true repentance. And it may be something like a habitual sin that you've had for months or even years in your life. Um, but when God highlights it to you, you need to have that process of turning, of repentance, of getting it out of your life and dealing with it. Otherwise, you will sense that separation from God in your life. You will sense that uh, tearing apart uh, of you from your fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I had a, 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 a situation like this in my life last year where I, there was something in my life which had been nagging me for, for many, many months and I knew that it needed to be dealt with. I knew that it was wrong. Uh, but I just didn't do anything about it. And then we had a message from Dave King, uh, I think it was probably October, September time last year, and um, he brought this word about not giving the devil a foothold in your life. I don't know if you remember that. But it was a really, really powerful message, and he gave examples of how God had dealt with people, and it really spoke to me, spoke to my heart. I thought, yeah, that, that's right, I really need to get this thing sorted out. And... Um, I properly repented of it, I properly turned away from it and dealt with it and, and, uh, and it was a wonderful experience because God really met with me after that. He, I really sensed uh, a newness of fellowship with him and a newness of, uh, especially in worship, you know, the uh, times of worship were much uh, clearer, much more intimate uh, after that. So, it, you know, I'd recommend to you anything, you know, if there's anything in your life which is getting in the way of your fellowship with God, then please bring it, bring it to God and, and make that decision. You know, sometimes we have to stay away from things which, are, which trip us up because you, you know your own heart. You know what causes you to stumble. And it may be a particular person that you know, maybe a person that you relate to, but you know that they, maybe they're, they're a gossip and they, they draw you into a, a wrong way of thinking. And maybe you need to t stay away from them and... and deal with that in that way or maybe it's uh, maybe watching a particular film or a particular series um, on television which which you think actually this isn't very helpful for me I need to cut that off and 
get it out because it's leading me down a pathway of sin and I need to stay away from that. So it's, it's being wise in these situations, isn't it? Being wise to know what trips you up, what causes you to stumble and staying away from that. So that's first point, repentance. So the second point I wanted to bring out, it was not God's plan, but it was man, it was, <laughs> it was God's plan, not men's plan. So it's clearly God's plan that they followed in this situation. And this is a lesson we need to learn to stay close to Jesus and seek his purpose and will regularly for our lives. You know, we want to be walking in that plan for our lives. Just as Joshua eventually got onto the right pathway, we need to be on that pathway, that right pathway that God has set for us. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit's been given to us, hasn't he, to keep us on track, to make sure that we are following closely in Jesus' footsteps. So let's rely on the Holy Spirit. Let's learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and the way he guides us and leads us and keeps us firmly on track. And to recognise that it's God's plan for our lives, not ours. You know, he has set a place, a, a, a route in motion for us and we need to follow it closely. And when we're obedient, uh, we need to trust in the sovereignty of God in our lives. It's, and it's a bit like Romans eight twenty eight, where it says, all things work together for the good of, for those who love God and accord according to his purposes. If we follow in his footsteps, God would make sure that your lives are, you know, that, that things will work out well for you because you are following in his footsteps. And we can rely on God that he will keep us in, he, in his heart, as it were. So, let's, so as an example of that, I want to um, take you back a few years in my life when I was actually uh, looking for a job change. So a job opportunity came up. I was working for Homes England at the time and a job opportunity came up in Cambridge and uh, I looked at the job and it looked fantastic. It was the right sort of scope of work that I love to do because uh, I'm a civil engineer, so I love engineering, and it was actually a highways project with bridges and things, really exciting stuff. So I thought, this is the job for me. I really want to go for that. So I applied for the job. Uh, it's like an internal application. And I applied for the job and went for the interview, all went really well. I thought, this is great. This is really good. This is perfect for me. Uh, I was seeking God, saying, Lord, if you, if you want me to do this, it would have meant moving to Cambridge. So that was a bit of a, bit of a step for us. Um, but I, I gave it all to God. We both, we both prayed about it and we gave it to God. And then a few weeks later, I, it, it took a long time, and then a few weeks later, I got the notice back that I wasn't selected. And I thought, what? This is, this is not right. You know, I've, this, I'm perfect for this job, Lord. You know, I've, I've got all the qualifications and all the experience and everything. And um, so I was devastated. I thought, okay. God, I give it over to you. I, I believe it's your plan for my life. You know, it's your plan, even though I, I don't understand what you're doing here. It's, it's your plan. And uh, so that was fine. So I, I put it to one side. I carried on with my life. Then about a year later, uh, there was a complete reorganisation within um, Homes England. And um, the agency uh, set up new centres, and one of the centres was in Cambridge. And uh, I got a phone call from the guy quite soon after all this was set up. Uh, the, the guy heading up the team saying, Julian, I want you to be part of the team in Cambridge uh, working on this project, uh, which I'd already applied for previously. I want, working on this project, I want you to lead this project uh, from the engineering 
perspective. And God provided that job to me uh, a year later, but with me able to stay in Medway rather than move to Cambridge, which is a fantastic solution to the... And God knew all along that that was the ultimate plan, although I just needed to trust him and believe that he had my best interests at heart. So I was able to work on this fantastic project and see it through and also stay in Medway, which is a wonderful uh, outcome for the whole thing. So that was, that was me trying to keep in, in line with God's plan for my life. Uh, so that's the second point. The third point I want to bring out is the battle is the Lord's and it's not ours. So the battle is the Lord's and, and it's not ours. We often fight... We often feel that we need to fight our own battles, don't we? We think, oh, we've got to sort this out, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. But we need to recognise sometimes that the battle is the Lord's. It's actually the Lord's battle uh, in certain situations that we need to submit to him and let him do his uh, work. Israel, in this situation, had his part to play. Israel had to take up javelins, had to take up swords and, and fight. But it was God that gave them success. It was the Lord's battle. And often we see this in the Bible, don't we? We see, um, like for example, Gideon, uh, when he was facing the Midianites. Um, what did they have to do? You know, they had an army of thousands and God narrowed them down to just 300 people um, because God had a plan. And it was God's battle that they were fighting. And if you remember in that story, they had to go up onto the hillside, break the lamps, uh, sound the trumpets, and then shout for for Gideon, a battle cry. And God calls the Midianites to turn on each other with their swords. So the battle was the Lord's. The Lord has com- completely destroyed the Midianites without, uh, without uh, uh, Gideon having to do anything, really, apart from obey uh, God's d- instructions in the situation. So in this situation, George, uh, in this story, we see Joshua's faith and the faith of his men. And it was their faith in God and their faith in the fact that it was the Lord's battle that gave them victory on that day. So for us, we may have been wronged in some way. We may have got into a situation where we feel we're being hard done by in some way and we feel we should fight. But in in many circumstances, we need to trust God that he's going to fight on our behalf, that we don't have to fight. We can trust God, give it to, to God in prayer and expect God to move powerfully and uh, bring about a resolution to the situation. This may mean us doing something. It may require us to do something, but we need to do it in faith, believing that God is the one who's fighting for us on our behalf and, uh, and will bring about justice in the situation. I remember, uh, for me, a, a, an example of this was when I was in Qatar with Lena, um, we were staying in Qatar, we'd stayed in Qatar for six years, but we actually got married out in Qatar uh, in 86. And Lena had to go back to India to get a visa because she had to be, uh, have a visa in my name, uh, not her old previous name. She had to go back to India, apply to the Indian embassy in Mumbai, uh, get the visa and then come back to this country, uh, to Qatar. Uh, So it should have been about a two or three week process, the whole thing. So she went back and we said, right, we gave it to God. You know, we believe this is is fine. She'll she'll get the visa. Um, So she went back. And but but by this time, um, 
uh, Lena was pregnant with Abby, our first daughter. So that had its complications. So she went back, and it was, she was about four or five months pregnant when she went back. Um, and we thought, that's fine, only be a couple of weeks, she'll be back, in, back here. But then the weeks went on, the week, weeks went into months. We were still waiting, still waiting. And I was going to the Indian Embassy in Qatar probably two or three times a week to say, where's the visa? Where's the visa? Where's the visa? And I think they were getting a bit fed up with me because they, you know, I just kept going. And um, I, I got to a point, I was getting really anxious because it was getting near to the seven months cutoff for, for flying so that she couldn't fly after seven months pregnancy. So I was really getting a bit anxious about this. Um, but I got to a point where I realised, hang on a minute, what am I doing here? Why am I getting so anxious? You know, we, we've given this to God. This is, this is God's battle. You know, he's, he's going to be fighting on our behalf to get the visa. visa. We don't need, I don't need to be anxious. I don't need to keep going to the uh, embassy to check. I'm just going to give it all over to God and just trust him. So I made a decision in my heart. I'm not going to the Indian embassy anymore. That's it. I'm finished. I'm just going to trust God and believe that God will bring Lena back in good time. Literally about four days later, I had notice come through from the embassy saying that the visa had been granted to Lena and that she was coming back on the next flight. And that really taught me a lesson, you know, don't get anxious in the, in the face of difficulties, don't get anxious. Put your faith in God, trust him. He will get through and he will bring you through to, uh, to a complete resolution in any situation that you find yourselves. So praise God for that. Okay, so that's the three points. So just in summary, what have we seen today from this passage? First of all, we need to ensure that we are fully and truly repentant after any sin and failure. We've truly repented and dealt with it. Uh, secondly, we, re- we need to remember that it's God's plan, not ours. You know, it's God is fine. It, God is, um, uh, has planned out our lives for us, and we need to remember that when we're going through our lives. And also to remember that the battle is the Lord's, and it's not, not ours to fight. So that's, that is the third point that I brought out. So let's just, let's just finish by praying, and uh, then we'll carry on. Father, we thank you for this uh, message, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you have been speaking to us today. And uh, really pray to God that you would apply these words to our hearts, Lord, that we would recognise that you love us and that you care about us. And you give us books like Joshua to uh, guide us and to strengthen us and to lift us, Lord God. So we pray that all of this that we've heard today would just be so applicable to our lives, Lord, that we would take it on board and understand that it's you uh, that are with us and that you care about us so much, Lord, that you are fighting on our behalf, Lord, and that you love us and care about us so much, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Amen. Amen. Amen.